not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. I am Brian. And I am Eric. And today we're going to talk about this little teeny tiny subject uh, in which is a global pandemic called COVID-19. Something something like that. Sounds familiar. Um, Or we could just go, hey, has any one of us been diagnosed with any viruses lately? Yeah. And uh, I think I do have a little bit of experience (laughs) when it comes to COVID as I was lucky enough to get it back in March. Not only lucky enough to get it, but you were one of the first ones in your city to get it. Yeah, I was one of the first 50 cases in good old Lubbock, Texas to actually test positive for coronavirus. So I got it right um, on the onset before we actually got the um, quarantine restrictions put in place. So it was interesting. Right. So um, in your opinion, since you did get it and you got it early on... uh, do you think there's anything to worry about? Uh, just downplay it? Act like it's not coming here? Having got it myself, and I, I, I will preface this by saying I understand that this is not the experience of everybody who's dealt with COVID, but I got it very, very bad. I would say it was a solid six weeks from beginning to end. Um, at least three of those weeks involved a fever well over 100. Um, I developed pneumonia, came very close to hospitalization, and for the like record, I'm point two degrees yes. from hospitalization. Yeah, right? exactly. My fever spiked at 104.8, and um, I actually, during the kind of follow up after I was testing negative, they found out I had fractured one of my ribs from coughing so much. So oh my gosh! It uh, it definitely jacked me up. That being said, you know I have friends who got it, and uh, they were fine. In, yeah, yeah one, one of our coworkers. I was gonna say, yeah, uh, got it, and uh, absolutely just a little tired. Yeah, and that's about it. And and I've heard that from a couple people, you know. Oh yeah, I got it. I talked to a guy uh, just the other day on the street. Um, we were walking back and and uh, from lunch and and ran into him, and he had COVID. And uh, asked him, you know, hey, how was it? He was like, it was awful. I was so tired all the time. And I was like, yeah. well, did you have massive fever and? And all that. And he's like, no, I was really just tired. And he goes, for me, that was awful. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, so I guess everybody has their different opinions on the severity of everything. But uh, um, so having contracted COVID, and, and I think we should also preface, you know, this was really early on. Yeah. What was our, our guidance from CDC and our government mm-hmm. at this particular time? Yeah, and for me, you know, it was, uh, I was impressed with the response because I started to get sick, and um, anybody who knows me knows that in terms of health, I kind of operate on Murphy's Law. So I knew with it being in the news and how I was feeling and kind of the risk I was putting myself at, because that weekend I was actually out shopping for people who were older who asked me to kind of get them some stuff from the supermarket. So when it all started to add up in my head and I realized that there's a likelihood that this is this is COVID, 
Um, so I went, you weren't going to the COVID parties or anything? No, no. I okay. never got an invite, which kind of sucked. I guess I didn't. Well, you have... were already over it by the time those became popular. Yeah, true. Then I would have just been one of those lame antibody carriers. <laughs> but uh, it was it was impressive. You know, the, the local health department um, in Lubbock, which did an excellent job kind of reaching out, making sure everything was okay. And they, they asked me to stay inside and isolate entirely. And um it was pretty clear what I needed to do, and it wasn't hard. So they stayed in constant contact with you? Near constant contact, yeah. and I think a lot, a big reason for that was how early on it was. Right. You know, now we, even just Lubbock has experienced almost over 10,000 cases, which for a cities, that population is quarter of a million. That's... That's a lot. It's absurd. You yeah. know, it's an unfortunately absurdly high percentage of the population that has gotten it. And a big contributor to that is Texas Tech, obviously being part of the community. But sure. um, it is, I was impressed. You know, everything that was handled um, up front was great. But, and I say but because it's been very interesting to see how that's changed over the last few months and how this public health emergency has become politicized. Right. So, at the time, you you were receiving good health care. Yes. And you were receiving um, prompt attention. Exactly. Okay. From the local health officials. Yes. At the time when you contracted this, what was the tone from the national government and CDC? The Yeah, exactly. The disparity between the two is comical because if you look at what was happening in that time frame at a national level – I was told that it would just, it'll it'll go away in April. It'll magically disappear. And I I get the power of positive thinking. I'm all for that. But um, it was worrisome having contracted it and then to hear that because I know, you know, the president of the United States, his words influence people. And um, understanding how severe it could get. And knowing that if somebody got COVID as bad as I did, who was compromised or elderly, I have no doubt it would have killed them, you know, or at least put them on a ventilator since I came inches away from being on a ventilator myself. Do you think between now and when you had it, do you think there's, is there a different strand or is there a different reporting or what's going on? Because I'm hearing more and more people get it. Like you got it and you're how old? If you don't mind, you don't have to say. 28. 28. And you got it, and you had pneumonia, yeah, and you had high fever, uh-huh. and you had all the symptoms, and you. I talked to you every single day, multiple times during yeah. that that time frame. You did not sound good at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a family friend who just turned a hundred mm-hmm. on Friday, contracted COVID. On Wednesday, she tested positive, got the positive yeah. test results on Wednesday. They sent her home on Friday. It's incredible, and that's what we're starting to see, I think. And that's where a lot of the politicizing of the virus, I think, was possible, is the nature of epidemiology and just kind of virology and studying pandemics and outbreaks is when a new virus is found, it takes a long time to really understand what the hell it's doing, how it operates, how, you know, it, it functions. And that time frame comes with assumptions, because obviously, you know, we saw from the CDC initially and Fauci and Burks and, you know, the rest of the kind of the team that was working with Pence and Kushner to kind of get this pandemic under under control was they would put out the suggestions. I think initially they said, you know, don't worry about masks. Then they pivoted to saying everybody should be wearing masks. And 
it's very easy for a conspiracy theory. Everybody except for our president. Yeah, we could speak on that as well. But <laughs> it's really easy for people to use that as a conspiracy thought. Right. When in reality, they're just starting to understand how it's spreading and how it's forming and what was known last week might be totally wiped out from the findings of the next week. And when yeah. do you think it, when do you think COVID was actually taken seriously? And, and don't confuse that with I don't believe they didn't take it seriously to start out with. When do you think it became a serious issue with our administration and where we are now? Because uh, and they said this during the convention, which was, you know, uh, Donald Trump shut down all travel from China. Well, mm -hmm. the truth about that is. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is everybody's like, oh, the Democrats were so against that, and he did. He did. He shut down the tra the incoming travel from China, but that's like, you know, putting a Band-Aid on a gaping bullet hole. It is, sure, that was great that he did that, but, I mean, that's like step one. And well, and then, he didn't even shut down all travel from China, right? Very true. Not patriots living in China coming back. Right. And then when we did close down all international travel and recalled citizens— I mean, there's that famous picture at O'Hare Airport of thousands of people pouring in with no contact tracing, no testing taking place. They, I mean, we, we had no infrastructure ready to bring these people back. And so as people kind of funneled in, and obviously, you know, it's a pandemic, closing off a single country, that's just not how a virus operates, unfortunately. It just takes one person to go to a different country and all bets are off. I've played the game Pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Unless it's Greenland, right. which is impossible to penetrate, apparently, <laughs> if we're going off that game. But it is uh, I think it was around the time where we started to see it getting taken seriously was around May because there was a big push to get everything open again for Memorial Day in the beginning of May, which is what we right. saw, which was we're going to be fine. We're going to have this incredible Memorial Day. We're going to celebrate this. And we did not because the administration started to see, like, yep, you know, the the what we were hoping for, that this would kind of work itself out, it would present itself as less severe, that didn't happen. And it started to get worse and spread worse, and, uh, you know, we, we went forward with kind of shutting things down at a national level. Uh, of course, you know, the state still kind of had sovereignty, and even in some cases the city had sovereignty on what they were going to implement specifically, but the national guidelines shifted to shelter in place almost. So that's around the time we started to see it take a little more seriously. The issue was is once we st saw that curve start to decline at all, we everybody just reopened. When what we were seeing were there was actually pockets of the infection in New York and New Jersey, the Northeast specifically, since those are hubs of um, travel for international business, and obviously it's just mostly condensed in the cities up there. Those you know places started to kind of get their stuff together. They started to trend in the right direction. So the administration took it as let's reopen you know we're seeing the numbers start to do better statistically this is good let's try to just reopen and see what happens and then we learned that obviously new hot spots began to emerge was everybody in the government on board with this or we saw a ton of pushback in all directions you know again it's the cdc um and specifically when i mentioned them i'm talking more about how fauci and burks used language early on their job isn't to save the economy you know, their job is to save lives. Right. So they're only focused on that. So their recommendations do not take uh, 
the economic impact into consideration, which is worth noting because at the end of the day, you know, we do need to have a balanced approach. I would love to shut us down and isolate us and make the virus go away, but that's not an option. It just realistically will not work. So we've seen people on the economy side kind of say like, man, you know, the death toll is going to be much lesser than the impact on the economy. And then there's the flip side argument. Again, this was taken, these conversations taking place in May. Now we know very different kind of situation. So there was pushback and there was discussion, but it's when we started to see the trust in public healthcare officials start to rise above that of what the trust in the president level was on a national scale, which is that's when things started to get messy. When I think the administration started to see that the public trusted Fauci and Burks more than they trusted the administration. And that created kind of more division. Right. And I think for me, I mean, we quarantined very quickly, Um, you know, in, March, we shut the office down Mm -hmm. uh, and had uh, everybody got to work from home. Yeah. uh, And we're still in that situation. Yeah. Um, You know, my wife is very on top of this type of stuff. And and we were lucky enough to be able to um, quarantine. And we had an art studio in the back that we just turned into to a uh, an office space. And so we did that. And for our area. okay, Mm -hmm. and, and we're we're in Texas yeah. and Texas was a hot spot yeah. and uh, amongst several other States. Absolutely. Um, and was definitely a topic of conversation about, mm-hmm. you know, what you should be or shouldn't be doing. Um, and what was ironic to me was in March when we shut it down, people kind of looked at us and, and kind of said, um, you're overreacting. Yeah. And, and I got that feedback from, from a couple people. Uh-huh. It's like, you shut the office down, you're overreacting. Yeah. And uh, then I had a few people kind of go, yeah, like this is the, mm-hmm. the right thing to do and you should be doing it. I was going to say, I think me getting it was a huge trigger. Of Luckily, we closed it. the office down right before you That's got right. it. Yeah, it was and like so, the week before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did I did the whole speech. If somebody in our offices gets it, we're yeah. going to shut the office down. Everybody will work from home. Mm-hmm. And everything else, and and we just decided to go ahead and shut the office down earlier. Kind of knew what was coming, um, yeah, especially was with me working with you. For you. Yeah, 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 I mean, it, it was <laughs> all you have to do is wake up, and you're going to get whatever's going uh-huh, around. Exactly. So, um, but uh, you know, the hard part mm-hmm. for us as business owners, yeah. okay, was sitting there and listening to what Trump and the administration is saying. Yeah, and then having the complete opposite given to us by the CDC. Exactly. And so it created this period of time where I feel like had there been more cohesion between those two, yeah, it could have saved the situation even more. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I think when I noticed that in the same way, um, I went and visited Pennsylvania in June. And uh, in June, it was before Texas really became a hot spot, or I should say the beginning of June, because it was very shortly after I got back that things kind of went off the rails down here. But going up to Pennsylvania, which had been ravaged by it, um, and to see the difference, you know, where I went up there to visit my family, and uh, I was visiting also a girl that I am crazy about. So super excited to see her, and you know, the feedback that she gave me was, hey, you know, we can't meet at a person in, inside. We need to meet outside. We need to wear masks. And I was like, 
you know, in my head, I was like, you're overreacting a little bit. Which is crazy, considering I had it, but it was the right. status quo of living in Lubbock where, you know, you could go into Walmart without a mask. And so would you would say, say that's anything. adapted behavior? That is, well, more than anything is what I learned is that, oh man, other states are taking this so much more seriously. Mm-hmm. And these are the states that we're seeing the downtrend. Right. You know, where I couldn't even enter a business in Pennsylvania or New Jersey at that time without a mask on. Um, and because the government mandated it. And people, you should have had a little card that says, I have the antibodies. Right. I don't need a mask. Yeah. I'm happy. I, I, my antibody-based arrogance was eventually creamed when I found out you can get it after three or four months again. But um, And that's how I operated in Texas. Is I have antibodies. I can't get it. I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't need to. Which, again, was probably irresponsible because in terms of just being able to set an example. But traveling home and seeing my parents take it, you know, my friends and family take it so seriously... And then even the instance, you know, of going on a date where we didn't, you know, even shake hands, like, or give each other a hug. And it was like... It was like you're in junior high all over again. Literally. And I was like, (laughs) this is bizarre. But it started to click in my head where I'm like, it was literally on that date where I was like, all right, well, see you later, you know? And I got in the car and I was like, Texas is absolutely in a horrible spot. And sure enough, I came back and we started to explode maybe a week later when governor abbott then decided to do another shutdown yeah i think i talked to you while you were in philly yeah and you were kind of going this is insane like everybody is taking this serious and you you even mentioned it while you were in philly you're like we are in trouble in texas like this is gonna get bad and i think that's where we saw some leadership from the state level in pennsylvania with uh, governor tom wolf is he mandated masks People were upset about it, without a doubt. But when it's the law and a business either loses their business license or enforces it, everybody put on a mask. You know, everybody just did it, even if they moaned and groaned. It's the issue is, is there's no top level leadership coming all the way down telling somebody what to do. And in Pennsylvania, while there was blowback from that mask mandate, everybody was wearing masks. Whereas in Texas... There's no mask mandate, and there's still a blowback just if you choose to wear a mask personally, but there's no requirement. So why do you feel like there's this whole mask-anti-mask situation? I think what it comes down to is people, um, again, are very concerned about their sovereignty. And when they're told what to do in any instance that's new, it's scary because it feels like it feels like they're trying to implement control. I think social media and conspiracy theory and conspiracy thought also um, contributed to that. You know, when we see conspiracy theories take hold is when there's usually a very complex subject that is hard to understand. And then people fill in the gaps to make it more accessible. We saw it a lot with 9-11 and, you know, oh, buildings don't fall like that, they do this or they do that, when in reality the World Trade Centers were built in a way... To do that. To do that, but not only that, they actually saved costs by not building a kind of a steel mesh around the outside of the building and instead used a central support. So once that support was compromised, boom, comes right down. Same thing with World Trade Center 7. People want to say that was a bomb. When in reality, it caught fire... Papers were stored in boxes back then because we didn't have computer storage. So as soon as the paper floor caught fire, paper burns hotter than jet fuel, which is hot enough to melt steel beams. So 
that's where we see those things. And it's the same thing with the pandemic, as we were talking about how complex epidemiology is. Epidemiology. So people are going to fill in those gaps themselves. And sometimes it's easier to have a boogeyman to point to than a virus that we really don't know anything about. That's kind of terrifying, you know? Right. So you, you bring up the whole sovereignty and, and it's my right to not wear a mask and everything else. Isn't it my right to be in a safe environment, though? And that's the argument that I would use is I think where we could all benefit a little bit, both left, right and middle, is compassion and empathy. Where I understand, you know, at the end of the day, coronavirus is a very, and specifically COVID-19, is, is very specific to who it hurts, who it kills. We don't know what the long-term effects are. I will say I had a three-month follow-up um, since I had gotten it, and I still have technically severe lung damage. Do I feel like I have severe lung damage? No, but that is still technically happening, so it's something I need to be aware of moving forward. Right. So we do need to just have compassion, you know, where it's like, yeah. But you're, you're talking about compassion and empathy, and these are two words that have never really been associated with the leader of our country, who is probably the number one cheerleader that this is just going to go away. Yeah. And you don't have to wear a mask because he doesn't wear one. And then it, it drives, in my opinion, it drives a part of why people aren't wearing masks. Oh, without a doubt. And especially if you look at basically the rest of the developed world is they are reopening. They are having music festivals. They are having concerts. New Zealand's just well, now you are you are very big in the music festival world. Yeah, absolutely. you used to travel around and, and work music uh -huh. festivals. Do you see? the u.s getting back to a music festival anytime soon i would say not until 2022 i am not even hopeful that next year we'll see widespread events i right. think we'll start to see events start to take place next year concerts start to do things but in terms of the investment that music festivals take um and this is a whole nother thing that we could jump down you know a, a conversation about but i think the entertainment industry at, at large is in dire a dire situation right now right so yeah it's it's we need, you know, that's where good leadership comes in, where I was given the example of the rest of the developed world, which is just like, hey, yeah, this is annoying. Mask sucks. You know, I don't want to wear a mask. It's hot. It's weird. It's new. Um, although I can hide my ugly face, which is nice. You know, it's the anonymity I've always craved. But at the same time, it is, we need somebody who can say, hey, you know, this is going to be hard for a couple months, but we need to come together as a, as a country for those who are at risk and instead the narratives become well they were at risk so they're expendable right and that's you know yeah, it, it is what it is i mean that was that's kind of the shocking thing is that even as they've been confronted with this rising death toll they refuse to pivot and honor those who have lost their lives right and i think that's the most frustrating part for me and and i don't i never knock on wood and everything else i hadn't contracted it or anything else but the anger that i have over the disruption and yeah. the the in my opinion the needless deaths yes and the lack of um i i don't want to say that they didn't take it serious okay because they did mm -hmm. but in in my opinion when you talk about COVID, and, and this is the tricky thing about COVID, COVID's a global pandemic. Exactly. It's not a political conversation. It is. That's what's crazy is I think a lot of people forget that, like, the rest of the world is going through this, too. You know, it's it, not 
a political situation. It's not a Republican or Democrat situation. It yeah. is a global situation. Yeah. And yes, we like to think as as uh, United States citizens that uh, our political parties cover the whole world. Yeah. But absolutely. they don't. No. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that really angers me is as this started, it became a political fight. Yes. And it and it became less important about the actual virus. Yes. And it became a political fight. And yes. and then opening the schools became a political fight. Yep. And using, you know, the the children as a scapegoat for for things. And exactly. And that's what that's what's so frustrating to me is Listen, I I, want, I like talking politics as, as much as the next guy, but this isn't politics. This is people's lives, and and, and you can essentially say all politics is people's lives. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. But you can't say that we're in a global pandemic very often. No, no. and maybe once every hundred years, so roughly, mm -hmm. one hundred and one, right? Yeah, about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the thing that really bothered me the most was the lack of compassion, the lack of empathy, and the lack of seemed importance and that's my life that you're just disregarding and we're seeing the really toxic effects of those early that early rhetoric now more than ever which is uh you know i'm sure everybody's seen on social media the articles going around saying oh the cdc changed their death toll to you know 94 percent of the deaths weren't based off covid which is crazy because all that is saying is 94 percent of the deaths involved something else in addition to COVID. And I don't understand why people are even worried about that. Because if you talk, I mean, as an individual, do you take HIV and AIDS seriously? Absolutely. HIV and AIDS has never killed a single person, ever. Nobody has died of AIDS because it's what AIDS does to the body that makes it susceptible to other infections that ultimately is the result of death. And that's what we're seeing with COVID is we've known from the very beginning, I mean, it was never a secret that people who had underlying health conditions or were elderly or very, very young, initially people thought that, were more at risk. That was the entire initial goal of the quarantine, which at some point it did get skewed um, differently as well. But if somebody is overweight or if somebody has diabetes or if somebody has cancer or if somebody is over the age of 60, all, all that's sharing that information saying that their deaths are not covid related is taking away from the impact of their loss of life you know and that's what breaks my heart is we're still talking about real people who died and if covid hadn't been a thing would still be alive and right. that is what it comes down to at the end of the day it's like you can skew statistics and data to kind of make it sound like whatever you want but like you've said you know this isn't this isn't political. We can just look at the scoreboard and say, man, like 185,000 people. Well, and, and here's the hard part for me. Who do you listen to? Mm -hmm. You know, I it's mean, hard. You, you listen to Fauci or do you listen to Trump or do you listen to Pence? I mean, to me, I'd listen to a doctor who whose career is in this. Exactly. Not a real estate developer and a career politician. Yeah. But yet they're the ones providing all the information to the United States yeah. and, and the world. And, uh, and when they really kind of silenced the CDC, uh -huh. that really pissed me off. Yeah. Because, and, and then when they changed the reporting to go 
to mm-hmm. the White House, and then they hired a uh, company to do the reporting yeah. that really didn't have any background in that reporting. Exactly. Something doesn't sound right about that. And and that's when I get mad is I'm sitting there, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. okay? I enjoy a good conspiracy theory to yeah. pass the time. Who doesn't? Right. Um, but I don't feel comfortable sitting there going, wait a second, you, you're supposed to be relaying information to help me feel safe and feel comfortable. And you're taking it away from the scientist. Yeah. And you're giving it to people who their last government contract was providing hardware yeah. to an entity mm-hmm. and to give it to someone who has already said, it's not a big deal. And that's what we're seeing is kind of a trend in the administration is campaign contributors tend to get placement before those that'll be most responsible for it. And we've seen that time and time in administrations left and right. You know, arguably Obama's Ebola czar was dutifully underqualified for that position. Luckily, Ebola is much more difficult to spread than COVID, so that, you know, was able to be handled correctly. But, you know, now we're seeing Fauci being kind of pushed off in um, favor of this guy who's just a radiologist who doesn't have who works with, you know, the CDC. But it's the you know, it's the same thing of like we work in marketing, you know, you wouldn't try to do SEO like I do. So even though we still are in the same field. I wouldn't even know how to log into the back end of a website to do that. <laughs> yeah, so it scares me that the radiologist is now giving advice on pandemics, which is But totally here's the deal. Scope. Like I I'm the client facing side of that, right? So I'm the one talking to the client and everything. But you and I have a very open dialogue and I a lot of times I will go I don't know the answer to that. Let me get with Eric yeah. and figure it out and then I'll get back to you. I didn't see that. No. In the government. No. And in fact, it, it really is unsettling that they waited until Fauci went under for a surgery, surgery and then changed all the guidelines. It is. It and, is. But worrisome. that makes me also sit there and kind of go, well, it, should I be following Fauci? Yeah. I mean, they're doing all this stuff when he's not around. Like, why are why are so many people against what he's saying? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's because he's saying the truth. Yeah. But. You know, and, and that's the hard part. I mean, it, it really is, you know, and I had to make the difficult decision about school yeah. and, and my son. And uh, it was send him back or don't send him back. Mm-hmm. We opted to keep him home yeah, and do school virtually. And the reason for it was just lack of information. Yeah. And, and that's when you're a parent and you're trying to make a decision about your one sole responsibility, which is take care of your, your children. Yeah it's really hard to sit there and make that decision when you don't feel comfortable that you're getting the proper information. And that's, what's hard, you know, giving the proper information, especially from the current administration standpoint, I I think it's difficult is what's too much. You know, you don't want to release all the information and create panic, but you also don't want to withhold the amount, which I feel that they've not given enough information or have skewed it in ways that fit a narrative that's best for re-election. And we're in an election season. It's going to get politicized no matter what. But it's worrisome, like you said, because it's disallowing people to make the informed decisions. Well, And, and I know we need to wrap it up, but this is one of the weirdest things to me, and, and it didn't dawn on me until you just said that. And typically... If you look back at elections, there's no major big decisions made during this time of year, during exactly. during a, a, an election year. 
And yet we are in a situation where some very important decisions are having to be made. Well, usually when that happens during election cycle, um, the incumbent wins dutifully, as we saw with George Bush, you know, as we were in the middle of a crisis as the, you know, the invasion of Afghanistan and the Iraq war. Um, so he won in a landslide. And now we're starting to see for the first time an incumbent handling an emergency has a high potential to actually lose. Yeah, well, especially with, and this is weird, but all of a sudden the CDC announces to the states, be prepared to distribute a vaccine by November 1st. Now, I, I read two things into that. Yeah. Number one, they said be prepared to distribute, mm -hmm. which you want your distribution channel set up first. Absolutely. But it was, it was relayed in a way that it made it sound like there's a vaccine coming November 1st. Exactly. And I'm sitting there going, that's not what they said. It, it won't happen. I mean, I but think. But it's ironic that two days later, we will be voting for president. It's all timed, and it, it is a good attempt. And I, I want a vaccine as much as anybody, but I want this vaccine to be safe. You yeah. know, it's such complicated science in terms of having you know vaccines be approved. And the last thing we need is because if you think about it, if a vaccine has a 0.01 percent uh, mortality rate, and then you distribute it to even 10,000 people, you just kill 10 people from right. a vaccine and then you extrapolate that further and we have a national emergency that it's only going to reinforce any science and any vaccine rhetoric right so that's where it's scary that yeah i would love to see one before election day but i would much rather see one safely distributed in january i am not putting a rushed vaccine in my son's body yeah or my body yeah but at the same time you know we can't keep going the way we're going now and it, something has to to break soon, but it's and, and that's the hard part about COVID is there's no one answer, and that's what we're seeing. Just kind of as a final thought is you know, I understand the frustration of people that are more conservative or Trump supporters. Um, you know, really kind of the the heavy Trump supporters who um, it, I would be I would be incredibly frustrated too with what's going on because initially the quarantine was supposed to just protect those who were at risk but everybody had to stay inside somehow and then we were seeing initial findings like how Cuomo you know got everybody into nursing homes immediately and ended up accidentally killing off like 10,000 people when that was the worst thing he could have done and then we we're seeing it constantly transform and the goalposts continually move but I think where we're seeing the disconnect is if we all banded together and worked together to do what we needed to do, then those goalposts wouldn't need to be continually moved, as we're seeing in other countries. In today's America, that's not going to happen. No, it is, you know, and COVID is probably here to stay. It's going to replicate. It's going to become more like the flu than anything else. But, you know, if we trust in science and we trust in the experts who have helped us get, you know, other issues from just producing the common cold uh i'm sorry producing the the common flu vaccine as well as just the different vaccines we get as long as we trust in the officials who have made that their livelihood but even those are 50 50 shots yeah yeah at this um, point it is there's a lot of uncertainty but if i had to tell anybody to do anything it's just trust you know trusts in the scientists as much as you possibly can the career scientists that have studied virology and epidemiology specifically and, um, you know, just try our absolute best to have empathy and compassion, even if we're not seeing that. We got to be the examples for the change that we want to see. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, once again, uh, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard and, and want to hear more of it, then uh, please hit that subscribe button. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon.